This is the Passive Real Estate Strategies Podcast, where our goal is to educate you about the ways to create passive wealth through real estate methods that do not require your time. I'm your host, Justin Moy with President's Club Investors. Let's get right into the show. Hey, investors, welcome to another episode of Passive Real Estate Strategies. Today, I am sitting down with Scott. Now, Scott has been investing passively for about two years now. And through that time, he's amassed quite a bit of experience for somebody who's got that timeline. And so I wanted to have him on here to just talk about what it's like in those early stages of starting to build your passive portfolio. And Scott, you just have a wealth of information. So I'm excited to have you here on the show. Thanks, Justin. Really excited to be here. Hey, so tell us you know, a little bit about your background. What do you do professionally? Because you're not quite a full-time passive investor yet, but you know that's the goal. And then we got timelines to get you there. But what do you do now in your day-to-day? Yeah, exactly. That is the goal. Not yet, but I'm getting <laughs> working towards it. So right now, day-to-day, I'm a full-time W-2 employee. I work at a tech company and live right outside of Chicago. Um, I'm married of two young girls, so definitely, you know, a family man trying to make time for that too, which actually goes back into my why, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. But my journey is I've gone kind of the traditional route. I worked really hard in school, you know, got into a good college and then got a corporate job coming out of school. And then back then I took the purple pill, so to speak, and read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, (laughs) like a lot of other people know. And that just changed my mindset. And I transitioned to become a commercial real estate broker. for a period of time. So got a taste of that entrepreneurial life and some access into real estate and looking at real estate deals. It happened to be right around the great financial crisis though. So for me and my age and where I was in my journey, it was not the right time for me. And I kind of got back onto the corporate route and you know, went to grad school and, you know, followed the W2 path. So I took a temporary, you know, break to break away, but then came back, um, followed that path for a while and then did, you know, the traditional investing and 401ks and, you know, qualified Mm -hmm. retirement plans and things like that. Uh, One thing I did do was I bought a condo along the way and then lived there for a couple of years. And when I went back to grad school, I moved out of state. So I decided to rent it. And as like a lot of people talk about, I became an accidental landlord. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't really want to sell, but I found out, I said, you know what? I don't know if I could do this, but I'll try to rent it out. And sure enough, I've been renting it out ever since for the last like 12 or 13 years or so, uh, which has been great. And, And it's, you know, it's providing good cash flow every month and and that's been good. But on the side, I've been in my W-2. So fast forward to today, or actually fast forward to the start of COVID. So contributing to my 401k and qualified retirement plans, everyone knows what happened with the market in the beginning of COVID or just the economic environment. I saw my stock portfolio get crushed and I said, there's got to be a better way. I, I don't like being in this roller coaster ride. Yeah. So I revisited my roots with the purple pill. And went back to Rich Dad, Poor Dad and found my way in the podcast circuit and eventually found my way into a couple of real estate investing communities that just opened my eyes to a whole new level of education and type of investing around passive investing that I had no idea about. Mm-hmm. And just have continued to educate myself, meet new people and get into various deals. And now it just changed my my life goals and my mindset for where I want to go through investing. So I'm really yeah. excited. I love that. And so you have, you know, the accidental landlord story, which has, is pretty common. So you have that property and that's the only one that you really actively manage and own outright. What made you switch from that? Because you have some good real estate experience, especially on the commercial broker side. So I started as a residential broker. You have some properties now that you have as rentals. What made you want to go passive route instead of the active route? So you kind of already know a little bit about the space. Right. Yeah. So the 
unit that I have, it's a condo in Chicago, is I'm lucky there's a property management company on site. So I don't deal with all the, you know, the issues with becoming a landlord. I don't see it most of the time. I mean, maybe small stuff, but for the most part, I recognize that it's there and I didn't want to expose myself to that on an active basis. And I thought also it's really hard to scale one unit at a time like that. Yeah. Um, and I just wasn't ready to kind of leave my full-time job to mm-hmm. manage that. So for me, I said, well, what are other ways I could scale and access the same type of, or pretty close to the same type of returns while also maintaining my my current job right now until I feel comfortable leaving? And that's when I looked in the passive route and found out, wow, why not put it in the hands of experts, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, that I can also control in the vetting process and then you know let them kind of run with what they do best versus you know, being a landlord is not what I do best. I can yeah. do it and fine, but that's not really, you know, my calling. So, yeah, I think that's so, it's so profound to hear people say that and realize that because while I don't doubt anybody's ability to get out there and buy properties and learn the process and go through the, the ringer there and be an active investor, it's about knowing really what lane you want to be in and where your dollars per hour are best served. Yeah. Right. Especially as people in your role, you're in the startup world or you're in sales or, you know, bonus based you have high payout activities that you should be spending all of your time in. And then you don't want to come home from working, you know, 10, 12 hours a day, then start looking for real estate deals, right? You you mentioned you have some kids and then a wife and you want to spend time there. So really understanding how you want to spend your time. And even if you're knowledgeable about the real estate business and sophisticated there, not wanting to invest that time there, but willing to invest that money there. So- You've invested in a couple of things now. Are you in syndications, funds, REITs, debt stuff? Like what's your taste right now? Mostly syndications, all different flavors. So I started in multifamily was the very first one I did because that was kind of the most familiar, just understanding residential real estate. And it made sense. So I started there and then started to diversify into different types of funds. So I'm in an ATM fund. I'm in another real estate fund that's more kind of debt-based, but backed by real estate. I'm in a self-storage deal, uh, mobile home parks, and looking at a couple of other different ones as well. Very so cool. kind of started to diversify and now setting my eyes on, you know, what are the goals for the next 12 months, you know, 12 <laughs> to 18 months. And then how do I get to my ultimate goal, which is making my W-2 optional. Yeah, I love that. And so you invested in such a short period of time, really good diversity. Now, what is, and I know it's still early on in the whole times for all these properties, but so far, do you have any inkling of which one might be a better one, which one might be worse, whether it's for your style or operating style, or maybe the asset class, uh, what's your thoughts on the asset class that you're in right now? That's a great question. And my answer is going to be different than everybody else listening, because mm-hmm. the biggest thing you called out is style, which it's really your fit. What's the best fit for you as an investor? So that was a big struggle for me, Justin, to figure out, should I be investing for cash flow? Should I be investing for appreciation? Should I go for a healthy mix? And it is really all about what's the best fit for you as an investor. And it, and it takes some time to figure that out. So to answer your question, the ATM deal has been as steady as can be. It's been great from a cash flow perspective. It's not going to be you know, a massive appreciation play, but it is just a great, great cash flow vehicle that I never would have thought of if I weren't in this space before. Yeah. Um, the multifamily environment, given the nature of when I got in that deal, mm-hmm. I'd say I can't yet say that it's going to be you know, a great success. It's not going to be a, a ultimate failure either. But, you know, given the fact that I kind of started this in the last two years and how things have shifted in the last 12 months or so, it's yeah. hard to say, but I still am very bullish on multifamily long-term and just 
affordable housing in general, and the, there's a real housing crisis in this country. So uh, I still think from a supply and demand perspective, there's just going to be a need for housing, and that's just a good asset class to stay in. And then self-storage facilities, I've just done really, really phenomenally well throughout recessionary periods over time. So mm -hmm. I feel very comfortable in that asset class in this you know tenuous period that we're in right now. Yeah, uh, good. So and and it, it exposes you to a lot of stuff, right? And, and it doesn't sound like any of the deals have gone full cycle just yet, but it's yet. a mix of everything. And I do talk about that, you know, quite a bit to our investors is, hey, are you looking for growth? Or are you looking for cash flow? Because right. at the end of the day, if your goal is to retire in the next, you know, 10 years or so, and you know, well before you're 65, if you don't have a really big war chest, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to go make 10% cash flow. You know, it's going to just take you way too long, as opposed to asset classes that will grow you and double your equity and, you know, this three to six year period that we see. So yeah, I think it's really important. You know, what phase of investing are you in? Because if you really want to hit the ground running and you really want to shorten that timeline to retirement, you've got to grow your portfolio to a certain dollar amount. Then you can let the foot off the gas and start letting the cash flow you know, support your lifestyle. So yeah, absolutely. And and what phase you are in your investing journey. And then as it pertains to asset classes, really thinking about it at the next level of, you know, where are we in the market cycle and how do these asset classes um, mm -hmm. should typically perform given where we are. So it's yeah. not just, you know, you're not always going to invest in the same asset classes in perpetuity in the same way. It's really thinking about, you know, what's the best way to invest in this class or should we shift our dollars to another one for this period mm -hmm. of time and, yeah. you know, be strategic. And we're, we're seeing more people do that now, especially multifamily, right? So we've been a multifamily group for, since our conception, um, this past year, we've started doing short-term rentals and that's been absolutely crushing. I never thought I would be in the short-term rental space not for any particular reason. I just, it wasn't really on my radar, but seeing the results and seeing the timing and seeing the data behind you, like, oh my God, and then you, you'll go into different asset classes. So I love that you're staying educated on all these things and the different assets and the different timing. Is this class in headwinds or tailwinds or how are we approaching this environment that we're in relative to that asset class? Hey investor, did you know that we wrote an ebook that covers the three truly passive real estate strategies that exist to retail investors? Head to the link in the show notes and download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies. We'll walk you through the three truly passive investment strategies so you can build your wealth without sacrificing your time or compromising your hours. Head to the show notes and get your free download. Let's get back to the show. So, you know, you really are vetting a lot of sponsors to get into this many deals this quickly. It's something that you're clearly putting a lot of time and effort and energy into. You know, what types of things are you looking for? in your sponsors? What are some red flags, some green flags, and how do you really pull all this information together? Like, what are you looking for? Yeah, great question. So I think just when any deal comes across the table, the first thing any, anyone's going to look at, or maybe at least me is, what are the numbers? What do the returns look like, right? <laughs> and yeah. that's natural to get attracted to the higher returns. But you're making a really good point, which is the operator really needs to, to me, have very good experience in the market, that the uh, opportunities in and the asset class, I don't want to be either guinea pig generally. I mean, and not to say that they couldn't be successful or maybe somebody has been really successful in multifamily and now they're putting together, you know, a self-storage fund or, or they've moved into a different asset class and you're kind of the first group they're pitching it to. Yeah. All that might be successful. I'm personally more comfortable with a little more of a track record in that mm -hmm. asset class. Another thing I really like to look at, which is very difficult, is to find a sponsor who's gone through a recessionary cycle. So somebody who has a track record prior to 2008, to me, it's not a deal killer. 
that they need to be in the game that long, but it does provide some comfort that they've yeah. seen this before and they know what that looks like. But again, much harder to find because there were just a lot less capital raisers and sponsors back then. Um, so those are a couple of things uh, for me. And then the other thing is, is the team. So, you know, you might have the sponsor might be excellent or uh, you might have a great relationship with a capital raiser who doesn't, you know, have a great kind of operational team, or maybe we, there's, it's not really clear the operational team's role and who's kind of important to the success of the business plan. That's yeah. really important. I mean, that's where the, the rubber hits the road. I'd much rather work with an operator who has a deal that's not as great as another deal that looks great uh, with a less experienced operator who, you know, might not be able to manage it if it goes through a tough period. So that's the key for me. It's yeah. Really operational experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle to make it really successful. And a lot of people, their first contact is that capital raiser, whether it's on a GP team or like we do a fund to fund model. So we work with different teams all over the country mm -hmm. and we, as the fund managers are looking at and vetting that operating team. I want to know once the money is in your hands, who is taking charge of the day-to-day -day and tracking the KPIs and I think that's one thing that's really understated is some people, they might have a friend or family member who's a capital raiser. Oh, hey, this is a really nice guy or girl. You know, I trust them, but they're not really managing the deal. They're vetting the deal for you and they're vetting the team additionally. And likely they're putting their money in as well. So they do believe in it. But just because you know you like that person doesn't mean that they're exactly going to be controlling those funds once they go. And that's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, you know who's in actual control of that money. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Do you invest a lot with kind of those fund to fund managers or all of your investments direct to sponsor or do you have a preference or does it not matter to you at all? It doesn't matter to me. I'll do both. Yeah. yeah. Just, uh, I'll just ultimately wind up looking at who are the operators and, you know, what is their business plan and how likely are they to execute on it? Because in the end, they are just projections. You know, they'll put numbers out there for projections, but it's their ability to execute on it and track record showing that they've done it before that really matters. Yeah. I love it. So, I mean, Scott, there's a lot of people right now who are aspiring to be you. You're really hitting the ground running and putting money in deals and, and getting a lot of traction, getting a lot of diversity and exposing yourself really to a lot of different classes and operators and geographies. You know, for somebody out there who is maybe they're at your stage of experience or maybe they haven't quite done that first wire transfer yet, you know, what would you say to that person who's listening right now? Like, what's the best piece of advice you can give for them? It's a great question. I would say there's three things uh, that have been most valuable for me. One is your mindset. And mindset, to me, that means having a growth mindset and also having flexibility to think differently than what you've probably been conditioned to throughout your life. I still deal with this today, which is you know the traditional route of this, you need to save and then you access this nest egg. You need to change that mindset and be willing to change it and focus on what you can learn and actually be good at. No matter what your experience or background, you can always learn, grow, and be better. There's a lot to learn. So just focusing on that mindset to say, how do I expand what I think I know? Second, I would say is relationships. This is absolutely a team sport. The more people you meet, the more you're going to learn and enable your ability to learn from other people's mistakes, which will allow you to accomplish your goals faster and not make some of the same mistakes. And then the last one is really getting very tactical about it and setting goals. So, you know, the ability to, I think Benjamin Franklin once said, if you plan to fail, you're failing to plan, right? Yeah. So actually formalizing those goals of what you want to achieve is really important. And you can start off with maybe that end goal. For me, that end goal right now is having my W-2 be optional. But what are the, the smaller milestones or goals to get there? 
right? And for me, when I first started, my first goal was invest in one deal, right? In the next 12 months. So I set a small goal. I wound up investing in three deals, right? Because I got really excited and into it. But just continuously setting goals and then setting the next set of goals and just focusing on is this activity that I'm doing getting me closer to that goal or further away from that goal and just being laser focused on that? Yeah, I think that's huge because it's, you know, people always talk about compounding interest, but it's compounding action. So, and you don't have to do a lot every single day, but if you're laser focused on just one or maybe two or three things and you just, you know, 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, every single day, you know, you end up taking down a lot of these really big milestones. So Scott, I mean, this has been really awesome conversation, man. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge. Thanks, Justin. This was a lot of fun. Well, that's it for today's show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you're looking to learn more about passive real estate investments, make sure you head to our show notes and download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies, where we reveal the ins and outs of the truly passive ways to invest in real estate. We'll see you on the next episode.